Influence is the fundamental thing, and it's so hard for people to believe, and I'm going to use a word here that people don't like because it usually has a negative connotation, but serious meddling in other people's lives is what leadership is. And productive meddling is what I probably call it. Meddling in the sense of influencing somebody in, in a way that they might not naturally follow in a certain trajectory and you're 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 changing the trajectory of, for, for other people when you have board members that see their role as as we want to be effective leaders towards this common goal of creating a, a place that people love where they live now what's the path to get there and how do we get everybody to buy into that as opposed to just a paint by numbers approach of all right we have to enforce the ccnrs we have to set the budget keep the costs as low as possible and and lose sight of how, how do we actually make this a great place to live. Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to the Uncommon Area. I'm Matthew Holbrook, and we continue in our series on leadership. And joining us this time is Scott Vandevener. Uh, Scott is with Empathic Inc. and does executive coaching and consulting. And prior to doing that for the last 10 or 12 years, he was in uh, um, an executive role in uh, different corporations and uh, in different leadership roles. And so we are glad that Scott is here with us. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to start off with uh, just talking through your background. So maybe you can give us kind of a quick synopsis. You had about 30 years in in actual executive roles, and then you've moved into doing uh, coaching for CEOs and various executives. Maybe give us just a little bit of uh, some detail on what that's looked like. Sure. Uh, The the work I've done recently is really built on the last uh, 30 years. I mean, it, it, the, the prior 30 years, it was, uh, going, uh, working in a small business that I owned and then working for a larger company and uh, learning how to navigate inflection points uh, in the growth of the business uh, was a big deal because all of them were growing. And I learned that, uh, you know, it isn't easy going through an inflection point. It's a painful process for everybody, uh, not the least of which was me. And so I started to look at that uh, over time. And I realized uh, later on when I left the the corporate exec role into the coaching role, that there was a lot of, my focus would be on executives, primarily CEOs, the loneliest job uh, in in the US, I mean, at least. Oh, really? Oh, well, I might have to come back to that here in yep. a second. Yep. Um, you mentioned inflection points, and um, I'm curious, do you think that most people recognize an inflection point? And maybe you want to even just define that in case anybody's listening that doesn't uh, know what that what we mean by that. But do you think that people recognize inflection points before they get into that, or is it something that they see after they're already stuck and they're like, "Hey, something's changing here," or they, or even after the fact? Well, it depends, and it does depend on the experience of the person and and as to whether they're even aware that those things exist. I mean, most people see a. a uh, growth is a line from the lower left to the upper right, and it's straight. Right. Uh, but it's not. It's actually uh, uh, pocked with uh, all kinds of down downward uh, trends because we hit we hit areas of incompetence. So uh, when I'm talking to a, a CEO, primarily uh, executives are similar, uh, and I often work with the CEO's executives. 
I have to talk to them about whether or not they like to uh, feel like they're smart or do you mind feeling dumb? And I really do. Do you, do you like, do, does stupid bother you? Because if you are going to grow this business and most of my uh, CEOs are, this is their first gig or they're maybe their second gig and they are, um, they're sort of growing into their incompetence. And so an inflection point is often, not always, but uh, often indicated by their incompetence. The second one, just basically scale and uh, complexity uh, gets, gets to them. And then another, another one is just they've never, they've never really learned um, what it means to manage others. They're good individual performers. They're experts at what they do. And so they don't, they don't really know and em- empathize a whole lot with, the, uh, with the, the, the inflection points that are caused just by going from self-management, managing yourself, to managing others. And there's a whole way of thinking about that that I use to sort of get their attention because they're, we, we want them to lean into their incompetence and to know what they do. What, 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 do, what, what do you do when you hit it, when you hit yeah. that lid? So you've, uh, you've brought up several things that I kind of want to pick out a pick little on bit. Pick any, on anyone you want. So, uh, well, I'm going to do all of them, I think. But uh, starting off with um, this idea of leaning into incompetence or an inflection point being rising to a level of incompetence, um, just to maybe summarize what uh, I, I think that you're, you're getting at with that, you grow an organization or you move into a, a higher level role and you're going to reach points of complexity and things, the way that things are, are um, structured or functioning that are going to be new to what your experience has been. You're going, there's going to be certain things you don't know or don't currently have in the toolbox um, personally as to how to address those things. And so you hit an inflection point where either the growth stops or you start going backwards and either you need to make a change or a change needs to be made, you know, with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and so that's what we mean by an inflection point. You've, you've kind of reached that point where you no longer have either the skill sets or the experience to navigate that. And you slow down, go backwards, and either you, you have to figure out how to, how to grow through that or somebody else is going to have to do that. Very well articulated. It's either the individual, and quite often it's not just the individual, but it, for a CEO it often is. But for the company, it can also hit an inflection point. In other words, capability, competency, it just isn't, isn't there. And so they have to focus on building the competency that they need to, to, to go up the next, next run. Yeah. So this is kind of, uh, um, you know, the Peter principle, right? Like you, you, everybody rises to their level of incompetence. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you have to figure out, can you navigate through that? I have a, I have a friend who's a, um, a CEO of another company and he says um, all the time, um, you know, they have a, uh, an underperforming team member. And he says, um, yeah, um, we have somebody who's underperforming and um, we didn't have any place else to put them. So we just promoted them. And, uh, <laughs> and that kind of thing seems to happen a lot, right? Like oh, yeah. oh, you have yeah. somebody that, well, they don't work in this position. So what else <clears throat> are we going to do with them? Well, let's just promote them and see what happens there. And, and you end up with people in higher level positions at times um, who don't have the skills, don't have the competence to be successful. That's pretty much roles. everybody I work with. Uh, <laughs> great. Well, you work with us. So... <laughs> Um, no, but that's the kind of the point though, right? Is to help to, uh, that's your role is to help to build those competencies so that people can be successful in in their next level. Build awareness about, about what the competencies are and where the deficits are. Yeah. Yeah. The name of your firm is Empathic. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, uh, you're familiar with Strength Finders. Yes. Uh, I'm a, a certified coach in Strength Finders and 
did a lot of sent a lot of people through it. I realized after getting my 34 uh, list of talents uh, that number 26 was uh, was empathy. And so I realized I needed to focus a little bit more on empathy. So why not name the company that? Really? And, so, uh, so you name it after your weakness so to make you be better at absolutely, it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it's fun to grow in empathy. Uh, I'm still not a, not a uh, default empathetic person. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go for the goal, but I've, I've learned to make people the goal. So it, it actually helps a lot with the empathy side. If the person's uh, success and their growth is as of any matter, which it is, um, then, you know, I'm, I'm in good, I'm in good focus there. You can't be an effective coach if you can't empathize with the, the position that the person's in. I don't think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Would you extend that to all leadership? Yeah, I do. I, I would. Yeah. So yeah that's, some- that's a big deficit. In, uh, in, in leadership generally. Can you uh, coach empathy? Uh, you can help people uh, think about what, uh, what other people are experiencing. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. you find that that is, is a big part of conversations that you have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, just I mean, for, for a moment, think about the ultimate empathy that people have to, have to muster, and that is uh, subordinate executives to a CEO. They actually have to have empathy for the CEO. They have to think through what that CEO's experience is, what they need, how to resource the CEO. Um, these are things that are foreign concepts to people who haven't done it. So I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about leadership, read tons of books, um, been to business school, uh, listened to lots of podcasts. Way too much education. Yes. I've never heard anybody bring up the importance of coaching subordinates to have empathy for their CEO. Well, you, uh, there, well, often the, there's a discussion of management and leadership, and I, I, I don't separate the two sure. only for conceptual reasons. That's it, but because they're so intertwined, it's crazy. So, uh, yeah, you're managing up, you're managing laterally, and you're managing down if you're if you're an executive, and so you have to you have to be well equipped in all of those dimensions. Otherwise, you're going to screw up. So the idea of managing up, a lot of times I would suggest that people are looking that as how do I get what I need or what I want out of somebody above me? Not suggesting that that's the the healthiest way to look at it, but oftentimes it, it sure it that's put that, into that, that would paradigm. be one way to look at it. Right. I'd, I'd look at it a different way, but go right. Ahead. Well, that's what I'm hearing, and that's why I'm I'm uh, pushing on that. Um, you're suggesting that rather than just looking at it as how do I get what I need or what I, what do I want, but starting from having a starting point of understanding the the position and the weight on the person that you are subordinate to and then looking at everything through that prism sure and it does start uh, and this is maybe a rabbit hole but it does start with the understanding of what's the what's the thing that's got to win in the company in other words it's, and every company has the same what i call chief virtue and uh, if if that's a big deficit in a lot of people. They don't know what wins. You know, you'll be in some companies and it'll be a family company. You know, they'll say, we're a family here. And I, I try to tell them not, don't, please don't use that language because the chief virtue of a family is very different than what you're trying to do. You're going to fire your family. Yeah. You're going to hire your family. You don't do that in a family. So um, we got to, we got to be clear about what the chief virtue is. So how do you walk through that? And I'm thinking um, here for uh, this podcast, our audience is largely homeowners associations, board members, managers. And so even as they're processing and thinking through uh, what you're calling the chief virtue, mm-hmm. um, I'm not looking for you to apply that specifically into an HOA world, but like, what, what do you 
What are you thinking about when you're trying to help and coach somebody to determine what that chief virtue is? It isn't altogether too different between an HOA and a company. I'm, I'm going to guess. Um, I've, I served as a president of an HOA uh, once. I, I was able to, uh, you know, double uh, homeowners' dues uh, oh, with a hundred percent vote. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I literally just—it was when California was having the uh, bringing in the reserve requirements and stuff like that back in the '80s. Wow. And uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I put the fear of God into them because I said, "You guys have been not paying it forward." and we need to pay it forward. And yeah. so it was It was a pretty easy process, but it was doubled. It went from 75 to 150 wow. in, in 80s dollars. Yeah. So so, uh, so whether it be an HOA, which is a nonprofit corporation or a for-profit <clears throat> company or, or whatever it might be, how do you work through determining what is this chief virtue? Uh, again, I'm, I'm going to go to a default, uh, but you can, you can kind of think about chief virtues in, a, in an applied sense in different conditions. And so Disneyland is the best example that I can give because everybody knows Disneyland and you can say, well, what's the chief virtue of Disneyland? And so you as a consumer will automatically go to what? It's the happiest place on it's earth. It's the happiest place on earth. So we, so our virtue is to, is to, is to create an environment where people can be happy. That that's a great virtue, but, but there's one higher than that. And, uh, and it's often talked about, so I'm not telling anything new here, but do you, do you have any sense of what the the one would be? I'm gonna I'm I'm testing your knowledge of Disney. I don't. Here. I'm actually you know actually to find there. out. I worked there back in college, and you know I, I ran a sub, and uh, they're they're very keen on safety. So the chief virtue of sort of the operating environment of the park, it's not the corporation, but of the park, is safety. Without safety, you cannot have happiness because if people are fearing for injury, because there's a lot of moving parts in a in a place like that, then you know, you've got to focus on safety. So they, you will have the nicest uh, security people all over the park, but as soon as there's an issue, they become rather different people, not in a negative sense, but in a firmness sense, and uh, guide that guide that situation to where people are safe. So this might be a kind of a semantic point, um, and maybe I'm pressing too far on this, but it would seem to me that the highest level actually at Disneyland would still be to create an environment that's the happiest place on earth, and that maybe the primary supporting leg for accomplishing that is safety. Um, sure. And, and again, it seems like- a I wouldn't argue with you. Right, but the reason I'm, I'm stressing <clears throat> that is I, I think that that is the, that framework for any, any leader. They need to know what the, what is the, what is the North Star? Correct, and what then, wins? And then what, so that's, yeah, you're, you're putting it as what wins. And then what are kind of those supporting legs to, to try to get there, to, to hold that up, to make that happen? And, uh, and having clarity on, on those types of things. That seems that that would be a, a significant part of leadership. And, and there we do get into semantics because I would actually say that the happiest place on earth is a goal. So we're going to set that out as a goal and we're going to do all kinds of things to measure that goal. But, but, and one of them is safety. But it's, the, it's probably the biggest one for that kind of mechanism. Again, we can debate it. Yeah. I don't, it's, yeah. The point is to illustrate what the virtue is. Sure. In the, uh, in the case of the company any company, even a homeowners association, there is a goal. And that is, that is not the chief virtue. It is collaboration to get to that goal, collaboration toward a common goal. And that's how I, in this uncommon conversation, yeah. you talk about common stuff. So people have to get the goal. They have to, they have to know what collaboration means in, in that organization and they have to be able to get movement toward it. That has, that has guided me through more tough situations in my, in my career, uh, as in an, in the corporate world. 
and even in uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, better than anything I've ever done. Uh, it 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 really does help me go. Okay, this is this is what, this is what I'll decide to do. Yeah, that's interesting. I would suggest that in HOAs, if we just were to apply it into that world. Yep. Um, very few, very, very few board members would ever think in those terms about their HOA. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe it's time to work on what the chief virtue of an HOA sure, is. It would be an interesting conversation mm-hmm. in, for a lot of associations. Um, so, so, for example, a lot of board members will think in terms of um, exactly the opposite, maybe of where what your experience was. How do we reduce the assessments? How do we, how do we um, lower the costs for the homeowners who live in our association? And that they would see that as being their primary goal. Um, and I would suggest that's almost never the primary goal of any homeowners association. You could, you can reduce the costs if that's, if that is your all out goal, there's lots of ways to do that, but that will have other significant consequences. Mm -hmm. And so it is, there's something higher and it's, it's ultimately, how do you, how do you create a place that people actually love where they live? How do they enjoy where they live? How do they, how do they see value in where they live? Mm-hmm. And yes, cost is a part of that, but there's a whole lot of other factors. And so, um, yeah, that, putting just that together, to take that example, I just left a, I sold a house, uh, and I, uh, moved out of a, of a, an HOA because I really, one of the big reasons was, yeah, I never wanted to go back into an HOA after that experience that I had, uh, in the eighties. And, uh, and when I went back into this one, I, it just, a lowest common denominator seems to prevail in the, at this place. And it was, uh, it was very, uh, very constraining and nitpicky. This is a huge homeowners association, huge, probably a couple thousand homes, individual homes. And, uh, they, they didn't get it at some level that what you were talking about, a place where people want to live, where, where they, they have a, a sense of safety, but they're also encouraged to be responsible. That yeah. was the thing that was missing. It's like, uh, you're, you're not, you're not encouraging responsibility. You're basically just slapping everybody the same way. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that a, 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 a common uh, mindset for thinking about a homeowners association is there needs to be volunteers who can serve on the board of directors and those, um, the, the primary role of the board members is how do we meet all of the legal requirements and follow the governing documents of the association and manage the budget. And those become the, the, the goals for the board. And um, really what you're suggesting for any uh, organization and even an, an HOA or even especially an HOA is there's actually leadership that is uh, an imperative for a successful um the successful operating of the organization. So, you know, for example, you're giving the the example, which is not going to probably go over super well with our audience, but uh, doubling the assessments um, and uh, and well, I still, think I could describe it in such a way that they would go. Well, for that's it. the that is the point is that uh, when you have board members that see their role as as we want to be effective leaders towards this common goal of creating a, a place that people love where they live. Now, what's the path to get there? And how do we get everybody to buy into that as opposed to just a paint by numbers approach of, all right, we have to enforce the CCNRs, we have to set the budget, keep the costs as low as possible and and lose sight of how, how do we actually make this a great place to live? Mm-hmm. And that, that requires leadership because there's, and so this, this brings me into, um, we define uh, leadership at action in, in terms of influence. And so mm-hmm. maybe you can talk a little bit about putting this together with, with what we're talking about. Um, 
when you're in, a, a leader in an organization has to be able to influence other people towards a specific or common goal. Mm -hmm. um, how do you see that, um, that concept? It, it, uh, it, influence is in fact, uh, the one of the most important things to understand and it is one of the hardest things for new leaders uh, people who are stepping into roles where people have to follow um and a leader is i define a leader as somebody that people follow so if people are following you then ask why and uh, and then you know figure out how to get better at that but the other side of it is if no one's following you maybe maybe you're not so good at leadership and might want to rethink your yeah. The perspective toward it. But influence is the fundamental thing. And it's so hard for people to believe, and I'm going to use a word here that people don't like because it's usually has a negative connotation, but uh, I like the word because it does have a negative connotation, but it, I, I'm going to use it positively. We are, uh, and I use this with another uh, another great colleague in my life, uh, and, and we, we would say, you know, serious meddling in other people's lives is what mm -hmm. leadership is. Yeah. And you've, you've, you've got to get over the fact that you can you you can't do that you have to be able to do it and you have to be able to do it productively there's that's the key word is productive meddling is what i'd probably call it yeah yeah so um meddling in the sense of influencing somebody in in a way that they might not naturally follow in a certain trajectory and you're 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 changing the trajectory of for for other people yeah so you you, you talk about the chief virtue of an hr i've sitting here my brain is at the same time trying to think well what would the chief virtue be because i'm curious as to what it will ultimately land on and i think i think i think it's love your neighbor or do unto others as you'd have them do unto you i mean those are two two great great sayings that that i think might have uh, a lot of bearing on an effective HOA. In other words, if the, if the board models that, so we start always start on the inside where the leaders are and we go out, it's inside out. So we, yeah. we take the, the management company and the, and the board and we, we move our way out in, the, in concentric rings out to the people that are influencing others in their neighborhoods. But that yeah. seems to me to be something around where this might, might land. Yeah. Are we loving our neighbors? Now love your neighbor doesn't mean tolerate everything your neighbor does. Love, in my language, is uh, doing uh, uh, doing what's in the best interest of the other person, and sometimes that's sometimes that in a in a company, sometimes that's letting them go because they're just not going to be happy here, and uh, and we're going to help them find another place to find their happiness. Yeah. But but you know the the love part of it is to look for the potential potential and see if it can actually be cultivated, uh, and and in a homeowners association, I mean, what do you think? What do you think of love yeah. your neighbor? No, I, I do. Um, if you, if, if the concept is, um, in a, in a community, uh, loving other people in the sense of what is best for them and what is best for each individual person in a community is ultimately in some way related to what is best for everybody. There is a correlation, not necessarily one-to-one, -one, but it's tied. Mm -hmm, and if people can, if people can see in that, in that context, I know one of the things that, um, we're working really hard at right now, for example, is um, how do we address, um, some people will use the term violations or non-compliance, but how do we address when somebody is doing something in the association that's not consistent with the rules? Mm -hmm. um, we're actually doing a program right now where we're reaching out to homeowners who would be in non-compliance and rather than just sending them a, um, a blanket uh, letter saying, hey, this is what you're doing, stop doing it, making phone calls and having other interactions to try to 
um, actually uh, gain their um, uh, their understanding and even approval of the enforcement of that non-compliance, why it's in their best interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, well, I, it, you know, in this place that I came from, I was a non-compliant homeowner. I, I I'm tell. just telling you. And so <laughs> they, I, 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 I mean, I'll give you an example of uh, one of the, the craziest things I'd ever seen. And that was that this is a, I live in middle Tennessee, which happens to be hot and humid uh, in the summer and has bugs. And the rule was that you couldn't have screens on your front windows. Uh, I just never took them off. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Now, they would probably have cited me eventually, but it was probably half the homeowners didn't take them off. And then it sort of gives you the the compliance side of the population and the non-compliant side. Because there's no way I was going to take those off unless they absolutely made me. And uh, it was like, you got to be kidding me. This we want to be able to open these windows at some point when we need to open the windows. Yeah. So. And that's the point, again, where from a, a leadership standpoint, the the leaders, the board members, either would need to educate the homeowners, including you, why it's actually in your best interests to mm-hmm. take the screens off or to take the leadership to do whatever is necessary to change the rules to allow them to, to stay. Um, well, one of the ways so. is is protesting uh, <laughs> so, to change well, the rules. Yeah. Well, but, but again, if you have effective leaders, then right. that hopefully wouldn't, um, that wouldn't be the road that you'd have to go down. Now there's a couple of, um, of points that you've, um, brought out that I want to, uh, to, to jump on a little bit further. And that is, um, we're talking about influence and how does that relate to, um, uh, the culture of an organization, because you, we were talking about um, even you mentioned, you know, in the in the love your neighbor idea that it starts with the the board, and so there's a cultural component to that, and then there is also um, influence as it relates to making decisions that have um, maybe really negative short term consequences, but are still the right thing to do. And so, an example of that might be even in your experience of doubling the assessments. Very negative short-term consequence, but in the big picture, it was the right thing to do and had to be done. Um, maybe in a in a company or an organization, I I can see um, a lot of times that it might be very clear that a particular individual actually needs to be let go, and the result of that uh, termination of that uh, of that employee or that team member could result in work being reallocated to other people that could be very uncomfortable for a period of time until you go through the process of hiring, restructuring, training, whatever Mm -hmm. needs to be done. So maybe we can start with that. How do you talk executives through in an organization making these kinds of decisions where maybe they know the right decision, but it's gonna be really, really painful? Yeah, there is a, uh, and I think you're, pretty familiar with this concept of, of compassion overhead. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a question as to how much of that any organization can afford. So defining compassion overhead is there's a certain amount of compassion that you extend towards team members or sometimes maybe, maybe even clients that costs you and you just say, okay, I'm willing to accept a certain amount of that. And that's part of the overhead cost just right. as an expression of compassion. Right. And so, so quite often, uh, again, this is the confusion as to what what doing what's in the best interest of the other is. And sometimes people think it's just accommodating them and it's not that. It's really, we've got a goal we're aiming for here and we've got to, we've got to understand what the steps are to productively get there. Um, in the homeowners, in doubling the dues picture, 
it was the best attended annual meeting in the history I of the homeowner association <laughs> and but, but it was a unanimous yes vote and that's that's what shocked me i didn't think i'd get unanimous um i thought somebody would would be out there but they realized it was to help it was to help work them through a process we didn't just drop it on them we we sort of laid out the pros and the cons as i said that a uh, home homeowners prior to this time had not been paying it forward, which is what you always do in a homeowner association. And that was a key concept that I didn't understand until the state of California decided that we need to, we need to drive uh, these reserves in by law. And so um, that, that it made a lot of sense to me. Oh yeah, you, you, we got to pay it forward. And it's like a savings account, but, and people started to understand that uh, rather than have special assessments, you know, they needed to have a, a war chest. Not that presents other problems, but that war chest, I mean, mm -hmm. millions of dollars were sitting there by the time right. I left. And, but, so they had to be careful about how that, the fiduciary role of managing that much money. But it, it, it is actually to sort of frame the argument and that's influence. That's part of the world of influence. I, I don't get there unless you come with me is, is another piece of this. So I'm submitting to your role as a homeowner, which is really the owner of the board. The, they're, they're directing the board in how they vote. And so now I've got to be collaborative with those homeowners to help them understand what's in their best interest and why. Yeah. And so that's, that's compassion to me is, is um, anytime you help somebody see something that they couldn't see, that's influence. Um, you, you, it's compassionate influence, I guess. And yeah. so you're, 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 trying to, you're trying to frame things in such a way that they get to adopt it. They get to speak into the thing. Um, you know, the, 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 it's an old, old, uh, old saying, but it's weigh-in equals buy-in. So if I just hand it to them, slap them with it, they're not, I'm, I'm going to get resistance, but if I help them weigh in, why, what, what would be the better path to do? Mm -hmm. What are the options here? And there was no better option than to, than to double the dues. Yeah. So in, in action property management language, we, we talk about leadership is, um, is a derivative of influence. And ultimately it is measured by the idea that the people that you are leading, it's their success, which defines your success. Mm -hmm. So we apply that into your situation, the, the homeowners, um, for them to be successful in where they are living, there has to be, um, uh, financial health to allow them to, to do that. Very and much. so, the, the influence was towards getting them to understand that their success was dependent on, on this, this type of an action. Um, so putting that into maybe a, the, the other kind of scenario that I, uh, um, I painted in an, in an organization, you're going to let somebody go and that's going to cause a lot of short-term pain. And sometimes uh, from a leadership standpoint, they might be looking at this saying, yes, I, yes, I know that this is the right thing to do, but I'm not sure that we're actually going to survive over the hump Mm -hmm. uh, in this short term to get to the promised land of, of where we need to be. How do you, how do you coach somebody to, to think through that type of a scenario? It, it is a question of what's in the best interest of the company, which every, every manager, every executive, that's another problem, what I would call a challenge for people moving from uh, managing self to managing others is that they, they have to adopt a different set of values. And uh, so now managers need to think what's in the best interest of the company and not so much what's my parochial interests uh, here in my little group or for me, me personally. Yeah. And so they have to think in terms of the objectives of the company. And that's the bit that that's the bit about collaboration, understanding what the goals are of the company and fitting yourself into that. It's, it's, it's in a sense, just how, how do you, 
how do you fit into this rhythm of this thing? I mean, yeah. it's voluntary. You, you don't have to be here. And so quite often it's, it's uh, people, people become disqualified and it's helping them understand how they're disqualified from the continuing life of this organization. And uh, it's doing it compassionately. I mean, it yeah. is a tough thing for people to change, but quite often they know they're not a fit and um, you're just delaying the inevitable. It's time to rip the Band-Aid off. And I'm not saying do it precipitously. I'm saying it is, it is something that ought to be paid attention to more aggressively than it, is, than it typically is because people avoid pain. Uh, well, you're, you're making pain for a lot of other people, so appreciate that and uh, appreciate that there's a, there's a happier place for this. I believe in helping people be happy because yeah. uh, I think ultimately happiness is a great guide of, uh, of life. It's not, yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, understood. Um, what you're really underlying, uh, underlining is um, a concept that's, that's pushed in a lot of different ways by some of the, the, the um, biggest minds in, in um, leadership and management, um, in the leadership and management world. So people like uh, Peter Drucker, Jim Collins, uh, mm -hmm. Patrick Lencioni, they mm -hmm. all come back in different ways to the importance of humility and the danger of self-centeredness in leadership. Mm. And yet well um, we, we, we mix that up. I'm like a lot of times the, the, uh, the caricature of, of a leader is somebody who can beat their chest and tell everybody what to do and, and um, lead the charge in that way. And um, really what you're illustrating, and, and again, we see over and over coming back to, uh, the, the most effective leaders are the people who can put their own ego aside and actually care about the people that they're serving, who are their subordinates, and helping them to be successful. Yeah, yeah, humility. That's a that's a that's a good one. I mean, I, I do love the the uh, the ideal team player that right. Lencioni talks a, a great deal about, and and humility being uh, one of the most difficult to actually teach, though I think drive might be even harder. If somebody yeah. doesn't have drive, I don't know how you bake that into them. But but usually humility is moderated by pain, pain in relationships. That's how you actually help somebody arrive at some. But mostly pain. We want to see people walking with a limp at some point. Uh, in order because they, they, they start you to learn humility, you'll, you'll learn humility in, in that, in that pain. And so the, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I purport, um, you know, and my clients would be the ones to say whether it actually, I actually am helpful at this, but this is my job is to somehow support people who are navigating inflection points caused by success or circumstance. That's how I see my job. And so there, I, everybody's in an inflection point. So it's the full employment act for me because they're all going through inflections. And so, yeah. and whether they know it or not. Yeah. It's interesting that, um, that humility is actually, um, a hedonistic trait at its, at its core. Sure so is. hedonism is you know, chasing well your own, your own pleasure, your own happiness. And so you've, right. you've emphasized that, but if I want to do that and I want to do that well, I have to be willing to learn, to grow, to accept my own mistakes, to accept the, the free consulting of criticism and be able to translate that <laughs> well into, uh, in, in, into something that's going to help me be better. So um, it is the counterintuitive reality of maybe of life, but also of, yep. of specifically of leadership that if we want what's best for ourselves, we have to put ourselves aside and put other people first. Yep. Yep. That's, um, that's a, uh, couldn't have said it better. In fact, I'm going to steal some of what you just oh, said. Great. Use oh. it, use it liberally. The free, <laughs> there you go. The free, the free consulting of criticism. Yeah. Great combination um, of words. So, um, 
Uh, and then that translates us a little bit into the idea of just of culture mm-hmm. um, and the importance of culture. Maybe you can just talk for a minute. How, uh, how do you see leaders um, affecting culture and how is culture important to obtaining goals or chief virtue or however you might discuss that? It's, a, uh, it's an amorphous term too, yeah. culture. What does it mean? And uh, um, I, I, I've personally was a big fan of the MASH series back a long time ago. And, and the, the epi- before my time, the five, well, it's time to watch it because <laughs> the, the five episodes that included a guy named Colonel flag, who was a CIA agent were are quite good because he would, he would come in and he would, you know, he would just, he was, he was a bumbling CIA agent, but he would walk in and he would say things that just, and one of them that he said, the fish stinks from the head down. In other words, you know, whatever. Is that where that saying came from? Well, I, I, I don't know, but I mean, that's where I got it was okay. from Colonel Flagg. And so I'm, I'm always telling my CEOs, hey, what you're seeing out there is happening here. So you got to yeah. figure out, you know, what in you is allowing, you know, that that to happen. And how do you actually now become the kind of person that isn't isn't so oriented to that that stench? Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean to say people stink, but you, right. No, yeah. understood. Um, so it, there is a, uh, a sense in which the culture is a reflection specifically of the leader of the leader and um, the leaders, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it is trying to get everybody aligned. And I'm, I talk about, I, in fact, I've got a, a group of CEOs coming together tomorrow and we are going to talk about alignment and influence and what their, what their real center is in that. Um, yeah. and so it's, it's a, uh, cause they're, you, they, they've got it, but they don't have it. And you're constantly trying to help them see that that is your your primary job. Yeah. You know what I mean. I'm trying to work in your highest and best use. I, I'm sure you've heard that yeah. terminology yeah. before. So yeah. it 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 is. A, I I call it your habu, and uh, and trying to get people to understand that if you're doing that, that's not really what you're paid to do. You're paid to do this, and not that you mind doing that, but you need yeah. to, you need to sit there and focus on the important things and the important things for the leader is i say naming the environment this is what this is what the environment is and revenue in a, in a in a company they got to focus on the the top line but also about what the context of that line is you know wh- what do you want out of this thing it's not simply a company that makes a profit this is where people's lives are expressed uh, in homeowners association this is where people live this is where people yeah. You, 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 you've got a whole lot of uh, different values when you start thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a lot of people say, well, that's, you know, I got to focus on the bottom line. And yeah, you do. I mean, you can't, you can't ignore it, but let's talk about survival and let's talk about thriving. And so, okay, get your survival taken care of, but now how do you thrive? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things that come out of that, and we'll probably need to be winding this down here um, pretty soon, but um, the, um, the, the emphasis on culture um, is something that I think is probably the most talked about um, reality in business and in organizations and maybe the least understood. Um, most talked about and poorly executed. Poorly executed, but I would even suggest um, poorly understood. Like people will throw around those terms. And uh, I, I know here at, at Action, um, one of my frustrations and that um, I talk about a lot is um, when somebody says how much they like the action um, values and the action culture, and they then they then follow it up by talking about how it's defined by people being nice, um, I about go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, As you should. <laughs> uh, because our culture 
um, has nothing to do with being nice. Mm -hmm. Our values have nothing to do with being nice. Being nice is a human value. Mm -hmm. It's, it's what we should be as humans, but it's not definitional to action property management. So Mm -hmm. I expect people to be, to be nice, to be kind, to, to interact with people in, in socially appropriate and kind ways. But I expect that of all humans. So the culture mm-hmm. is, is really has to come back to what is distinctive to that organization and defines that organization in a way that helps to facilitate movement towards whatever that common goal is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that's, that's um, often missed and, and understood. I, I, I would imagine you see that a lot in, in the roles that you, you're involved in. And uh, I don't presume to know or guide people into a culture. My, that's not my job as a coach. My job as a coach is to help frame the discussion so that the the executive sees what it is they're trying to work work on and, and tease out those things that are of interest to them because they own the results. I don't own the results. I haven't got a clue. Really, my gut, I do not have a gut for the companies I work with. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. If so, I run my own business, I have a gut for it. I know what what's working, what's not working, and they do too. But it's trying to tease out some of those higher level things that are going to help them again, inflect upward. And so a lot of that is just through asking questions. Oh yeah. Asking questions, being directive about, you know, saying it sounds like this is what's going on. That would be a more directive type question. Describe that, describe that for me. And then they would, they would go off and, and, and talk about the issues. But coaching is very, very different than consulting. Coaching is really holding the space open for somebody to work on, uh, get to an objective and where we've agreed to go. Yeah. So uh, you also had uh, the second point I wanted to bring up out of what you were talking about. You had um, you dropped in the the phrase "name the environment" um, that a leader needs to name the environment, and I'm not sure exactly what you're getting at with that. Um, I want to clarify that defines but, reality. Okay, so that's where I was assuming that you were going with that, yeah. and so I was going to to put that back and um, maybe have you respond to this that. Um, an important part of leadership is being able to um, to tell the truth, um, to make honest assessments. And we think of truth telling as interpersonal, and which is obviously super important. And that's where you build credibility and character and so mm-hmm. forth. But beyond that, I think where the truth telling becomes really challenging from a leadership standpoint is to tell the truth about your situation, about your environment, to be able to accurately say, here's what we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, here is, uh, and using your terms, here's what reality is. And then how do we how do we move to where we need to go? So going back to your HOA experience, you had to paint reality for the homeowners. Here's our situation. Right. We need to tell the truth about what our situation is. Now, what's our best step going forward? Um, I would I would imagine, and I, I find myself guilty of this at times, that we paint reality in certain ways, either from what we want it to be, or even out of self preservation that we don't want to face certain certain realities. And, and then, um, the reality of that is that we're just digging ourselves into a further hole. Um, yeah. And let's just talk about leadership and subordinate that managing up. We talked about that is a key aspect of people that, for example, report to you is helping them understand how do you influence that person in such a way that they, they see reality a, a little bit with more clarity. I mean, you get, um, clarity, you get agility and speed. So you can move much more quickly if people get what's really going on. And so trying to establish that, why it's so important for a CEO, for, for a senior leader in an organization to carry that all the time is they, they're, they're constantly reminding people of what's, what's real, what's going on here. 
how, how, you know, this is good stuff here. This is not so good stuff over here. Let's, let's keep this, but let's change this and uh, let's do it gingerly. I, uh, I try to keep people off of bright, shiny objects uh, in their in their leadership. And a lot of leaders will have the bright, shiny object management by bestseller or something I, I think I coined about in the 80s. It's in a book somewhere that somebody wrote. <laughs> I quoted it and they, they quoted me on it. And I went, so it's just people walking around with the books they just read. And then right. I'm at a six-month rule that I implemented. And uh, the person that liked to refer a lot of books, who you know well, uh, didn't like it too well, but he abided by it. I said, look, this is six month rule. If when this comes out of you, then let's, let, let's start talking about it yeah. <laughs> you know, let, or, or me, yeah. I, I would put myself in the same. Let's not, let's not talk about the greatest fad, but the, so managing to the bright, shiny object is often a problem, but managing to the pain. Ah, now that is where we know something. We don't necessarily know what the bright, shiny object will do for us. Though sometimes we go for those things. We really need to manage to pain and address pain in the organization. And so homeowner association is going to have a lot of pain. Um, they're going to have non-compliant homeowners. They're going to have circumstances, issues in the, in the whole physical plant of, of the place and stuff like that. And, and so they've, they've got to manage to the pain of what that's creating for other people and understand because uh, they, they know it well because they're homeowners themselves. And so they, 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 can, they can think in terms of pain and what to do about it. Yeah. So to put that in, uh, in some specific HOA terms, you can, you can imagine, let's say HOA utopia, that you have these homeowners all in pristine houses, that their property values are going up. They all get along with each other. They're, they're having a great time. There's great relationships and, um, uh, and they're uh, paying assessments for which they feel like they're getting real value out of, um, uh, you know, however that's defined, mm -hmm. then what you're really suggesting uh, is, okay, now what are the, what are the, what are the pain points that inhibit or prohibit that scenario from happening? Now, how do we manage in such a way, lead in the community in such a way to mitigate or remove those pain points so we can strip everything away and allow that, that picture to happen? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yep. Yep. It is. It, uh, I, I, by the way, on that man, you know, go to the pain, that's a princess bride Term. I'm, okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a movie or <laughs> so, so, so you're, you're not good with the business books, but princess bride, that's the, I haven't that's read the a business book yet, but I've watched lots of movies. So it, the, uh, yeah, it is, it is, uh, it is trying to help people. Um, how do you navigate that? How do you help other people understand what, what is, what, what, what the pain is? If you can, cause you can solve for it. You really can, you know, when it, you know, nothing like a good objective defined in the best of terms, a, a problem, you can, you can name a problem and you can get as very, very specific about it and then sort of measure your way out of it. You, you, can, you yeah. can actually look at demonstrable things. And that's part of what um, managing up, I, I like, <laughs> I think that's an important concept for people because uh, they just don't do it. Yeah. Uh, to get, you gotta help, you help somebody understand the problem because yeah. you, you're giving them solutions, but don't give them solutions. Tell them what the problem is and then also have a solution, maybe 10. You yeah. know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you don't like being asked how to solve their problem yeah. in your, in yeah. your subordinate leaders. Right. Yep. Yeah. No, definitely understand that. Don't need another, don't need another problem to solve. How about you solve it? Well, th th that's how people stand out. They come and say, here's the problem. Here's what I suggest, or here's ways that we can mitigate that. Um, yep. let's, let's figure that out. And, uh, those are the people that stand out and yep. that you really appreciate because they're not putting one more thing on your desk. Yeah. That one, one, another thing about the homeowner association that's a little bit different is it is very strongly consensus driven. Uh, and in fact, it has to be. Yeah, there's not a single leader. There's not a single leader, and there's not really a single a single set of 
well, I, I, the values shift between the homeowners, what, what they value. And so you have to, you have to form a consensus. And so that, what, what does that mean? And so that's negotiation skills. That's, that there's a lot of things sitting there and understanding what, what's important and what, what can we just not, you know, we, we don't have to worry about, you know, I mean, I would, I would probably have five or six things that I said, this is what matters for us to execute if I were on a board. And, uh, and these are the areas where we really need wisdom in dealing with each of those. Uh, what will work in that situation? So for the screens example that I used earlier, that doesn't work. I mean, half the people are, are non-compliant and for a reason. And so what will work, you know, in terms of that policy? Yeah. And it was in the CCNRs. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, didn't read that part when I read the, when, I, when I bought the house. You're so, not alone, <laughs> right? And so, I, but I read it later and went, "Oh my gosh, you know what, what's yeah. going on here?" So, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, that's a, that's a good place for us to uh, to wrap up. So, very much appreciate uh, you taking the time good and to be uh, sharing your your input. And I uh, hope that was helpful to uh, anyone watching. And would really encourage you to check out the other episodes that we have on leadership as a part of our overall leadership series. So um, continue to check the Uncommon Area for all kinds of topics that we cover related to homeowners associations.